Hello and welcome to The Weird, where we explore the weird, unusual, mysterious, and uncanny stories that leave you wondering what the hang is going on. I'm Dan. And I'm Riley. And lurking in the shadows uh, and in a mysterious but not quite creepy way is our intrepid producer, Bonnie. Hi, I'm here. I'm listening. So this is our fourth episode. Woohoo! And today it's my turn to present to you uh, a story that I think is worthy of, of uh, discussion and, and exploration. You uh, mentioned, Riley, in, in uh, previous episodes that uh, you had a, a, sor- a sort of a source material as a young child that sort of has inspired your interest in, in the uncanny. What was the name of that again? Yeah, it was uh, Reader's Digest Mysteries of the Unexplained. That and the Guinness Book of World Records were my traveling companions for many years. So this topic is something that I also discovered as a young kid, and it was in a Reader's Digest, and it was at the cottage. It was in uh, my my parents had a, like just a, a a basket full of these old Reader Digests that would be in the bathroom. Doesn't every cottage have that? They're so gross. You don't want to touch them. It's disgusting. <laughs> it's really disgusting when you stop to think about it too, right? Like my dad's bathroom are full of copies of those chicken soup for the soul books. <laughs> I kid you not. Uh, oh, well, you know, sometimes when you're doing your business, it's good to get a little uh, uplifting message. Absolutely. You need something to read, but yeah. So I remember uh, that the summer that there was the, um, I read the, that story. It was about a plane, a, a, well, a number of the different disappearances that have occurred in the Bermuda Triangle. And bringing it up with my cousins who had the cottage right next door to us. My aunt was a, uh, or is a, a born again Christian, very devout Christian. And I brought it up and, and she went into full sort of tirade on it and, and referred to it as the uh, devil's triangle. Are you like from the Appalachians? This was in Luskville, Quebec, which would be sort of like the Appalachians. Uh, so anyway, there was this Reader's Digest uh, a story about the Bermuda Triangle that I found very fascinating. Brought it up with my my cousins. Uh, I was told that there was it was a supernatural uh, thing that this was maybe actually a portal to hell. And ever since then, I've been intrigued by it. As a young kid, I was terrified of it. As an adult, I'm not terrified of it anymore. But it is still something I think that's sort of fun to to read and talk about. So what is the Bermuda Triangle? The Bermuda Triangle is a region in the Western part of the North Atlantic uh, that uh, a whole bunch of ships and planes and people have, uh, have uh, allegedly mysteriously vanished. It's known by a number of different names. There's uh, the Devil's Triangle, as I just previously mentioned, Hurricane Alley, Limbo of the Lost, or my favorite, the Hoodoo Sea. The Hoodoo Sea? Yeah. I had never heard of that one before doing the research uh, for this episode, but some people call it the Hoodoo Sea. That's my fave. Sounds like a Dr. Seuss thing. Uh, that It's interesting you bring that up, Bonnie, because they think that all of the source material for Dr. Seuss came from the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> I'm going to fact check that. Please don't. Uh, the, the triangle area, if you're trying to picture it and you don't have access to the internet, uh, is uh, Miami, 
which would be sort of the, the western tip of the triangle, uh, San Juan in Puerto Rico and Bermuda. So some speculate that unknown and mysterious forces account for the unexplained disappearances, uh, such as extraterrestrials capturing humans for study, which sort of ties back to what you were talking about last week, Riley, the influence of the lost continent of Atlantis, which I loved. And I remember reading about that as a kid and finding that so interesting. Uh, Vortices that suck objects into other dimensions and other sort of weird, whimsical ideas. And, And some explanations, I should say, are more grounded in science if not in evidence. And these include uh, oceanic flatulence. That's a scientific term. What? Oceanic flatulence. That's a scientific term. Yes. And that would be uh, methane gas erupting from ocean sediments and and sort of creating these giant bubbles on the ocean surface that would potentially uh, sink ships or I guess a big enough maybe take down low-flying planes. Uh, and then the other, and this is another really common one, or dis, uh, another common explanation is uh, disruptions in geomagnetic lines of flux. And I coined that. That's my, that's my words, geomagnetic lines of flux. I didn't get that from anywhere. I don't know what that means, so I'm just going to... So I can explain that a little bit. There's been some speculation that when you're in the Bermuda Triangle, that compasses don't work properly. Instead of pointing towards magnetic north, they point to true north. Like the magnetic north is not actually at the North Pole. It's moving around. I think currently it's on its way to Russia, like the northern parts of Russia. I'm not going to explain the science because I don't know the science, but I do know that weird things have happened to compasses while in the Bermuda Triangle. Does magnetic north really move around? I thought it was a fixed point. The North Pole's fixed. Magnetic North is not. Uh, now, I learned something here today, so I'm walking away a better man. Well, I try. As of early 2019, the Magnetic North Pole is moving from Canada towards Siberia at a rate of approximately 55 kilometers or 35 miles per year. And there you have it. Amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. So an, another cool uh, little uh, factoid about the Bermuda Triangle is that there's been mythology growing about this for centuries. Uh, Some even believe that uh, Shakespeare's The Tempest, uh, which is a sort of a story of or a play about sorcery and sh- a shipwreck, that it's based on uh, the Bermuda Triangle, that he was basing it off of that. So as early as, you know, the late 1500s, early 1600s, it was sort of known as an area that you wanted to be careful. So, in. OK, that's amazing because I thought it was phenomena of the 1900s, but it goes way back. Well, it, it and it and it is. So the origins, the the earliest suggestion that's in print that we can read is is from a an article that was written in September of 1950. It was in the Miami Herald by a guy named Edward Van Winkle Jones, and he sort of listed all these weird disappearances and some of the strange occurrences. Now, that's not to say that people weren't talking about it before, but that's the first time that. It was explored in print. Okay, cool. So what I thought would be sort of interesting, because this isn't a solitary event. There's hundreds of stories uh, surrounding the Bermuda Triangles. If we kind of looked at a few of the ones that I think are the most interesting and sort of explain what happened. And then we could sort of talk about some of the different theories and some of the really sound criticism of, of these things. Sound like a plan, Stan? I'm down. All right. 
So the very first one that I love, and it actually reminded me a lot, Riley, of your the very first episode where we talked about the Mary Celeste, mm-hmm. is the story of the Ellen Austin. So the Ellen Austin is a ship. And in 1881, it is in the foggy waters of the Sargossa Sea, which partly uh, encompasses the Bermuda Triangle. It overlaps with it. And while they're making their way very slowly through the water, again, because the sight lines are really terrible uh, due to this fog, the crew encounters a fully stocked and abandoned ship. Sound familiar? Absolutely. I think this is my favorite story of all of them. I'm going chronologically through them, but just listen to this. So the crew of the of the ship sees this as an opportunity to seize valuable cargo. I believe that is in keeping with maritime law. The law of salvage is a principle of maritime law whereby any person who helps recover another person's ship or cargo in peril at sea is entitled to a reward commensurate with the value of the property salved. Uh, So they send some of their men in to occupy the ship and sail it side by side with their ship the rest of the way home. As they're sailing, still in the Bermuda Triangle, a terrible, horrible storm descends upon them really quickly, separating the two ships. Eventually, after the storm subsides, they reunite the next day. Weird thing is, the crew that they'd put on board, this mysterious ship, gone. Oh my God, I love this. Ship is still sailing, no crew on board. So possible that they got swept off or something like that, for sure. But it gets better. So the ship was once more, it was abandoned, but packed with all these valuable things. They don't want to let it, they don't want to let it go. So the captain of the Ellen Austin tries boarding it again. But this time, when the crew members get on board, there's this thick and blinding fog that rolls in and separates the two ships yet again. When the fog finally clears, this ghost ship completely vanished. And according to stories in contemporary newspapers of the time, that that crew and that ship were never seen again. Right there, that's a story. Wow. Pretty cool, eh? I love it. Can I ask you a question? I, I just want to get clear. So they put a crew on it the first time, and they were sailing side by side. And then when they came back together the next day or whatever, that crew was gone. Correct. And then they put a second group on it and they disappeared as well. Yeah. So the first time was a storm that separated them. The second time it was this thick, thick fog that, that separated them to a point where they couldn't see. And it almost remind, makes me think of, do you remember, well, there's Stephen King's The Mist or The Fog or The Fog People from the, it was another movie from the 1980s. The Fog, John Carpenter. The Fog. That's right. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly the one. Did you ever see that movie version of The Mist? I tried. It is the worst, most depressing movie ending in the history of film. I read the book and loved the book, or the short story. It's heart-wrenching. That movie is heart-wrenching. Are you saying that in a good way? In a terrible way. Oh, okay. So it's not worth watching. It is, but it's so fucking bleak. Like, oh, afterwards, you just want to go out and hug a puppy. So the USS Cyclops in 1918 the U.S. Navy's largest and fastest fuel ship. So this is a technological marvel. The USS Cyclops disappears while en route from the Caribbean to Baltimore with 309 crew members. And what's crazy is it didn't leave a single trace of what happened. No debris, no lifeboats, no life preservers, nothing. So though fully equipped with 
to stress equipment and signals, the USS Cyclops gave no warning, which if you know military or just like maritime vessels that are professional, uh, the fact that there's no communication, no uh, distress signal, they gave no signal that anything dangerous was happening at sea. It's really strange. How I don't know what kind of technology was in place. You said it was 1917 or something? This is 1918. So, oh, I was so close. So what um, did they have radios? Did they have all that kind of, I, I don't, I'm absolutely. Okay. And, and they were close enough as well that they could have easily communicated uh, in pretty fast order with, with any of their bases that were in the area. And this was a tried and true ship. It was actually a, considered a legendary ship in world war one as it carried thousands of tons of manganese ore. And then all of a sudden, you know, it just disappears without a trace. The theories surrounding this ship, there's talk that there perhaps was mutiny, uh, storms, poisons, or perhaps that it was torpedoed by the Germans. Um. But none of it really makes sense. If there was a wreck, Where was the debris? If it had been torpedoed, there would have been oil and debris in the water. There would have been sign. There would have been bodies. And if it had been a storm, if it had been poison, certainly. If there had been mutiny, where was the distress call? And if it had been, if it had been captured, where did where was it brought to? Because there was never any sign that it resurfaced somewhere else. So all of that's really, really weird. Now, people have gone on to say that uh, perhaps a mysterious beast, such as a giant squid, you know, maybe that took it out. But it's, it's extremely odd what happened to the boat. And there's been no explanation that that fully makes sense as to how this giant ship. And again, if you go online and look at the USS Cyclops, this is a big boat. It just completely vanished. Is it down on the books as cause of death or cause of accident unknown right exactly so the u.s navy has gone on to say that this is there's been no more baffling a mystery in the annals of the navy than the disappearance of the uss cyclops wow i should say that that was that's a quote from the navy secretary uh, of the time and um so it it really is is a, a strange one you know again probably I'm sure there's a reason, uh, a natural reason for it. I don't think it got uh, brought to a different time or brought to hell, but you never know. It's a hell boat. Are you sure it wasn't Ghost Ship? Remember Ghost Ship? Oh, yes, yes. Ghost yeah. Ship. So the other story that I wanted to bring up, and again, I'm, I, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of mysterious stories or uh, stories of ships or, or people or planes disappearing that are, have actually been explained now. I'm trying to find the ones that there still is no actual explanation for them. The last one I want to bring up is Flight 19. In 1945, just as this, the legend of the Bermuda Triangle is starting to take even more hold over the people, uh, five TBM Avenger torpedo bombers took off from a naval base in Fort Lauderdale, Florida and vanished in the Atlantic Ocean before completing their mission. So this mission was called Flight 19. That's the reference. It wasn't 19 ships. It was five. Flight 19 was scheduled to complete a three-hour exercise, which entailed heading east to conduct a bombing run, then flying back over the Grand Bahama Island and eventually pivoting southwest to return home back to Florida. But along the way, the flight's leader, Lieutenant Charles C. Taylor, became paranoid when his compass failed and he believed that the planes were moving in the wrong direction. 
He instructed his fleet to fly northeast, thinking he was heading towards Florida, but really he was just traveling deeper into the Atlantic. As the planes reached closer towards the Bermuda Triangle, their signals began fading, according to the History Channel. This is the source for that. And eventually all communication was cut, and the planes were never seen again. The last thing recorded in the communications by Flight 19 passengers uh, were eerie reports on their location. Uh, that Everything looked strange, even the ocean. Uh, one pilot quoted as saying, it looked like we are, it looks like we're entering white water. We're completely lost. Wow. The disappearance of Flight 19 was so baffling that the official Navy report said it was as if they had flown to Mars. Again, no debris, no bodies, no oil slicks. And what's remarkable at this one, too, is this is now 1945. They're pretty technologically advanced. They have radar. They immediately went to look for these guys and could not find anything. Nothing. So pretty strange. Some of the theories about the Bermuda Triangle, and there's many. Some are of a scientific nature. Others are of the supernatural I'll let you tell me what what you think of these, but one of the most common ones is rogue waves. So according to a Channel 5 documentary, the Bermuda Triangle Enigma, scientists now believe conditions in that area are just right for the massive, a massive rogue wave. And they've used simulators to demonstrate how uh, these could put ships at risk. So just like the one that capsizes the Poseidon Adventure. Exactly. Oh, Bradley. well done. I feel like this podcast is like it, if we had like sort of a, a side business, it's bringing up old, awesome movies. Well, exactly. Yeah. I have a signed copy of the Poseidon Adventure signed by Ernest Borgnine. Really? I'm not kidding. He's a strange actor. You know what I first saw him was in the uh, it was a TV miniseries about a helicopter airwolf. That's not a mini. That's not a miniseries. It was a series. Well, was he in the series or the movie? Because it was. It started with a movie, like a TV movie. It was a movie first, I think. Yeah, was it Jan Michael Vincent? I think in exactly. Yeah, who died early? I believe. Yes, he did. Do you remember Jan Michael Vincent, Bonnie? He was a sex symbol when you were young. Oh yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, his stunt double was killed during in a crash during the show's run. Oh. Really? And after Airwolf went off the air, the helicopter was sold to a German charter company and used as an air ambulance. I'm going to blame the Bermuda Triangle for that. Absolutely. And Ernest Borgnine was in the TV series. You are correct. There we go. Yeah, I remember the music. I loved the music. It was very synthesizer. It was kind of a precursor to the movie, uh, to the music for Miami Vice. It had that kind of feel. So Ernest Borgnine, he's a, he, that was my first take on him. And then I realized, because he was kind of a bumbling idiot in that, he's had quite, he had quite the career. A good actor. Wasn't he like the mechanic in that? Like the guy who kept the helicopter going? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he sat in the back. He wasn't the, the main pilot. He was like the navigator or something like that. Absolutely. Okay. So uh, rogue waves, that's one explanation. And they're saying that area has the potential for them because you get these giant storms that sort of come from the, the south and the north. And and when they, when they come together, they can create the conditions to create these massive, almost like tidal-like wave waves. And if that were to hit a ship the wrong way, then you would have uh, you put the potential for a capsized uh, ship. But how does that explain the disappearance of the aircraft? Right. Well, the only thing is if they were flying low enough, then it could. Like some of these waves could be as tall as like 100 feet. 
But they would see it, wouldn't they, in an aircraft? I mean, just pull up. Pull up! Pull up! Unless it was foggy or... Again, right, though? Like, that's where part of the problem is, is it doesn't make sense. A rogue wave can't explain the, the Flight 19 story, for example. Yeah, I'm not down with the rogue wave theory. I am. Um, I know. Okay, so the next theory is the magnetic forces are causing compass malfunctions. So I'm going to preface this with saying that this theory does not stand water anymore, but did. So there was a time where the Bermuda Triangle was one of two places on Earth where the compasses point to true north rather than the magnetic north. And that's based on how stuff works. Look, good listener, if you are are insistent that I source my material, I just did get off my back. What is how stuff works? What is that? Uh, It's a website. Okay. And that's what I'm trying to do with a lot of this stuff is look up the scientific explanations. Sometimes that's just as fascinating, right? So some theories have suggested that the agonic line, uh, the point where magnetic and true north are perfectly aligned, passes through the Bermuda Triangle, resulting in a magnetic phenomenon, which could explain cases where pilots and ship captains claimed their compasses ceased to work properly, causing them to veer off course. But don't, especially ships, navigate by other means, such as the stars. Aha! Well done, Master Riley. That's exactly right. The experienced pilots and captains would have other means other than their compass to be able to navigate. Unless, of course, again, you're dealing with fog or or very stormy conditions. I love the fact it just comes back to the fog every time. I know. How can a big wave take down a plane? Well, Riley, fog. The fog. <laughs> uh, and another problem uh, with that theory is that the agonic line shifts all the time. And it probably was about 100 plus years ago when that was the case, meaning it's not the case anymore. So there shouldn't be problems with compasses. Even in 1945, like with Flight 19, that doesn't explain why their compasses weren't working. And again, they would have other means of navigating. I'm sure they're trained to to navigate using various methods, right? Right. And you would also think like with that, with Flight 19, if it's stormy, why aren't you pulling up to an altitude where you could see and get your bearings? The fact that he flew, they think, in a direction, he had his squadron flying in a direction that was actually taking them further out to sea is really weird, regardless of whether or not their compasses were working. Hmm. What an awful way to die, though. Imagine flying farther and farther out to sea, thinking you're flying towards land and just running out of fuel and having to ditch your aircraft. Ugh. Well, I think that it's kind of like how I feel right now on this episode, Riley. I just feel like I'm flying further and further out to sea and I'm about to crash and burn. There's a reason for that. Another theory, Riley, if you can believe it, there's even more. So I mentioned earlier about the uh, the flatulence. You remember that? Yeah, the oceanic flatulence. Yeah, oceanic flatulence. And I'm not, I am not going to stoop down and have bathroom chatter and call that uh, an ocean fart, because that would just be babyish of me to refer to methane bubbles as an ocean fart. So I refuse to say it. Imagine if that's how your husband died. How did John die? Well, he... The ocean farted and he was swept into the abyss. Oh, man. Oh, boy. So a methane bubble are a series of huge craters. Craters? How are bubbles? Let, let me rephrase that. A methane bubble comes from where you get like these huge craters 
uh, on the seabed. Depending on the, the minerals that are there, you produce methane gas. Eventually, they build up and they kind of burp their way to the surface. They reach a critical mass. Uh, they can cause almost like these large eruptions from the ocean. So uh, picture large towering jets of water coming up from uh, unannounced coming from the ocean, which could explain maybe taking down a plane but again, like a series of planes or a large warship. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. You would still find debris. Right, that's right. And those waters are, I think, in that area, not that cold, right? No, they're shallow and warm. Okay, so they, somebody would have survived or a body would have floated something. You would think. And it's perfect for, like, because there's so many shipping in that area, you would think that someone would would find something and no one no one ever has. All right, let me uh, wrap up. There's a We're starting to get into the, the weird here. All right, and uncanny. Another theory is that it's Atlantis that is causing all of these problems. And I am going to call it, it's outlandish and silly and doesn't make a lot of sense because Atlantis is not in the North Atlantic. I was just going to say, it's not supposed to be in that area, is it? It's in the Aegean Sea. Well, they don't know. It doesn't make sense that Plato would know about it if it had been there. I mean, it's possible. I actually do think Atlantis is based on history. And I may talk about that in a future episode. But the reason why they think that Atlantis might be behind some of this is that uh, some of the technology that uh, Atlanteans used, uh, they refer to Atlantean fire crystals, which is, I think you used to use that in the late 80s, right, Riley, when you would go to raves? (laughs) Atlantean fire crystals. Yeah. So anyway, these Atlantean fire crystals have tremendous power and energy. According to who? crazy people well who where like whoever saw an atlantean fire crystal well right and so there's accounts from people who are blogging about this right this is not anyone reputable talking about it that can back it up with any evidence the other uh sort of mysterious uh, explanation is that it's aliens there's actually a number of books that have blamed ufos for all of these disappearances uh some believe that aliens use the triangle as a portal to travel to and from our planet uh, some believe some believe that there's an underwater alien base there, and anyone who's gotten too close has suffered their wrath. There's other people too that believe that it is a way gate to different dimensions and times. But again, no evidence uh, to suggest that that is in fact true. The last theory, and this is actually kind of interesting, is that it's no mystery at all. So a few years back, an Australian scientist named Carl Kruselnicki claimed that the high number of disappearances cannot be explained by aliens or Atlantis or even more plausible theories involving rogue waves. Or the fire crystals. Do not leave out the fire crystals. If I had a rock band right now, that's what I'd name them. The fire crystals. Amen, brother. He suggests that the mystery is nothing more than a perfect mix of human air, bad weather, and a high concentration of ships in the area. He says it's close to the equator, near a wealthy part of the world, the United States, and therefore you have a lot of traffic. And according, this is actually, this is really interesting. According to Lloyd's of London and the U.S. Coast Guard, Lloyd's of London being in a large insurance company, the number that go missing in the Bermuda Triangle is the same as anywhere in the world on a percentage basis. So I, I think that explains the vast majority of the stories surrounding it, except for the ones that we talked about on today's episode. They're still weird. It's very odd what happened. But we just had a situation like that happen 
in our time, right? With the mysterious, remember the plane that disappeared? Yeah, the Malaysian flight. Vessels disappear, planes disappear, ships disappear. Sometimes as, as technologically advanced as we are, sometimes we just can't figure out what happened, right? Right. And I think that, I mean, even like if you look at the Mary Celeste, which is extremely creepy and unexplainable, kind of like, again, the stories that I brought up, but there probably is a scientific and logical and rational reason for it. However, these are still unexplained stories and they're interesting. Well, folks, that's the end of our podcast. Dan, I have to tell you, I was obsessed with the Bermuda Triangle, so I'm glad you brought this up. Thank you. Yeah, I liked it. I like it too. You know how I constantly talk about the paperbacks that I would read on the way to Florida or the books that my father would buy me? One year, they bought me a paperback called The Devil's Triangle. And I, re- I remember the planes and I remember how t- terrifying I thought that was. Yeah. I'm curious too. I noticed a lot of these things. Is it because we were young in the 70s or is it because the 70s was obsessed with all this mysterious stuff? Because I remember reading about the Bermuda Triangle, the Mary Celeste and other things we've talked about, but I don't remember my children being quite as obsessed with that kind of thing. Ripley's Believe It or Not, all those kinds of things was just is that the zeitgeist of the 70s or I think our focus was much more narrowed back then. I think we could be um, very influenced. Like the media was much more focused. So yeah, and we had, we had less choice in terms of what we digested. Because yes. I remember the Bermuda Triangle was like a hot topic mm-hmm. for a couple of years in the seventies. So we were all exposed to it, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think now too with the internet, it's so easy to find the answers to things, right? Yeah. Uh, which makes which makes when you find things that are mysterious, that are unexplainable, that much more fascinating. But we were, you know, think of TV. How many channels did we have in the 70s and 80s? Four. We all watched That's Incredible and yeah. Ripley's, there was a Ripley's type show, I remember, or Unsolved Mysteries and things like So we all watched the same thing and had a common f- frame of reference. And Do you know what? They're bringing Unsolved Mysteries back. The Like the one with... Uh, Robert Stack was yes. dead. Yes, that's right. But they're bringing the show back. I'm so excited. Yeah, well, and we'll just lift literally episodes off of that. So we don't have to do homework. I'm just going to recite them verbatim. I'm not even going to do that. I'm going to literally record the episode and just play it into my mic and tell the good listener that I'm changing my voice. I'm a trained actor. I can do many voices. And no one will sue us because we're in Canada. That's right. It's illegal to sue in Canada. Exactly. We have health care and no lawsuits. And uh, no schools now either. Yeah. Everyone works on a farm. So is is that it, Dan? That is it, Riley. That is it for episode four. I hope you enjoyed it. I did. Bonnie, I, I hope you enjoyed it. And thank you for your fact checks. Always appreciated. And thank you, good listener, for taking some time to uh, listen to us banter about this unexplained thing, the Bermuda hoodoo triangle. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. The Hellboat.